Hey folks, welcome back to If These Hills Could Talk. I'm your buddy, Tennessee Brando, and I'm glad to be with you. Thank y'all so much for tuning back in. Uh, before we get going with this week's episode, I did want to take a minute, do a little housekeeping, bring y'all up to date on some of the things that are going on, uh, things that I've updated and uh, things that I've uh, got in the works, uh, gigs that I've got in the works, things of that nature. So uh, we'll get that out of the way, and then we'll get down to the meat of this week's story. But um, first of all, I have uh, want to let you guys know that I have updated my... Um, link tree if you don't know if you're not familiar with what a link tree is it's basically an app that allows you to link all of your social media platforms together in one spot it makes it so much easier for people to find where you're at uh, they can click on your link tree and the link tree will take you to everywhere you need to be so um, i've updated it and i have it in my bio on uh, tiktok um, also have it in my bio on uh, twitter and facebook so if you go to either one of those places and click on where it says Linktree, then you'll be able to find me on all the other platforms. You'll be able to find me on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, YouTube, my merch store, Clapper, and Bandcamp. Uh, and as I branch out and get on to uh, other social media platforms, I will be uh, uh, adding those to the Linktree as well. So again, uh, I know most people... Uh, that discovered me, a uh, good chunk of the people that discovered me originally were on TikTok, uh, and you can find that link tree in the bio. Uh, my, my Twitter uh, has blown up now, and I'm, I'm gaining a lot of ground on there, which I'm very surprised about that. Uh, we just crossed 10,000 followers. I think we're up to like 10,000.3 at the moment. Uh, so thank you guys so much for sharing that. So I know a lot of you hearing this for the very first time uh, might have discovered me on Twitter. You can find the link tree there as well. And for those of you that are finding me now on Facebook, um, you can uh, just click the link tree in the bio and that'll take you everywhere you need to be in Tennessee Brando's world. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about Twitter and uh, what what has uh, you know transpired and blown up on there. I really didn't expect to gain a following on it. I'll tell you all the truth and be straight up and honest with you. Um, I deleted my Twitter account when Elon Musk bought Twitter. Now, this is... Uh, uh, I had joined Midas Touch and I had become a contributor on there and my TikTok had blew up. But when I found out Elon was buying Twitter, I had this big time fear that he was going to turn it into a dumpster fire, which he pretty much did. So I just deleted it. And the the, the page I had was under my real name um, at the time. And I never could gain any traction on Twitter. I think I've been on it since like 2000, God, 2008 or 2009, uh, however long it's been around. I've been on it a long ass time. And in all that time, I only gained like 400 followers. Um, it seemed like that if I tweeted out, you know, go fuck yourself to anyone, I didn't even get a reply to it. It was just like nothing I did got a reply. Nothing I did got a, a retweet or a like or anything. So I just felt like I was kind of pissing in the wind on, uh, on Twitter. And then when I found out Elon was buying it, I just deleted it. And then I was talking to some of the guys that's a part of the Midas Touch Network. And, you know, they were talking about how that, you know, we really can't let Elon win this war. We have to stand up, stand our ground and stand for what we believe in. And I thought, okay, I'll jump back on. So I jumped back on and, uh, the, the guys over at Midas was kind enough to share the new account and, uh, them sharing my new account and passing uh, my tweets around, got me up to around 2,100 followers. And then it just seemed like it kind of stalled out and it didn't go anywhere. And, uh, I wasn't really gaining any ground. Again, I wasn't really getting a lot of attention with the tweets. And then I got on this roll of writing these songs. And uh, with the help of uh, guys like Texas Paul, Midas Touch Network, Adeem the Artist, uh, Patton Oswald, uh, the actor Michael Kelly, and if there's anyone else that, that's done it and I've not uh, called them out, I'm sorry about that. I'm still trying to weed through and see who and all that actually is following me. 
But with some big time creators uh, getting behind me, uh, that managed to put me uh, over, and now I'm up to over 10,000 in just a little over a month I've gained. So I've pretty much gained 8,000 new followers in the last month. So a lot of you may be listening to this for the first time who has just discovered me on Twitter, and I'm this guy sitting at his kitchen table right in his uh, garage. It's more of a shed, really, but uh, sitting out in my shed, uh, you know, doing uh, songs and doing videos. You may have discovered me for the first time. So I thought this might be a good opportunity for you to learn how I went about becoming uh, Tennessee Brando. Um, now, it's kind of a long story, and I'm going to give you some of the cliff notes along the way on some of it. But I just thought that that's what this week's uh, show would be about, um, that we would dive in and I would, I would tell you how it was that I went about becoming uh, the guy that you see sitting here doing these songs today and uh, having these outlooks on live. So that's what we're going to be talking about. But one more thing before we talk about it, I forgot this. I want to slide it in real quick. Uh, me and the band uh, will be playing at the Corner Lounge. That show was originally scheduled for May 6th, but uh, it has been rescheduled because the Corner Lounge is getting... Um, they, were, they had put in to have their parking lot paved, and they got a call saying that the people would be there to pave the parking lot on May 6th. Uh, if that happens, no one's going to be able to park there, so it's greatly going to affect business, and so they decided to move the show. Now, in last week's episode, I did talk about you know how we were talking about uh, how I was going to go about doing that show there because they don't want people talking politics on the stage, and that's what my act has become these days. So... I messaged, uh, messaged them back. They were super nice. Uh, they've been super supportive and, uh, and very good to work with. And they simply said, you know, that they didn't want me to, in other words, take a bullhorn and talk politics in between songs, but they weren't going to try to stifle my creativity either. And if I wanted to go ahead and play my songs, and if people are there showing up requesting them anyway, then they didn't see the harm in it and to go ahead and do my thing. So um, that show is definitely still on. It's just it's been moved from May 6th to June 24th. The, the time will still be the same. It'll be 9 to 11. And I'll still be joined by the same lineup. I'll have John Baker on the bass, Brian Stansbury on the drums, my buddy uh, Buck Wilson will be on the guitar, and I'll be on guitar and singing. So uh, if you're in the Knoxville, Tennessee area on uh, June 24th, come on out to the Corner Lounge and watch me and the band play a lot of these songs that I've been writing. But um, now getting down to you know, the meat of this week's story. How did I become Tennessee Brando? How did that moniker come to life? Uh, I will backtrack and, uh, and tell you, like I said, I'll give you some cliff note versions of this because it's a long story, folks. I'm, I'm 43 years old. I've been playing music since 19, I started playing guitar in 1996, played out in my first band in 97. Well, I played my first garage band in 97. And then in 99, I was playing in bars. So, and I've been doing so ever since. Uh, so there's a whole lot to tell, and I definitely could do an entire series of videos or, or podcasts, I mean, either one. I could do an entire series of videos or podcasts on my time in these dive bars in East Tennessee and Southeast Kentucky. I've got a ton of stories uh, that are pretty entertaining. I mean, if you thought Tales from the Tour Bus was entertaining or uh, <laughs> or Dark Side of the Ring was entertaining, uh, I, I think my life story in those places would kind of be a combination of those two uh to uh, places. Maybe it would be called Dark Side of the Dive Bars. I don't know. But um, anyway, um, I started writing songs when I was around 16, maybe a little earlier. I started writing poetry and notebooks. And I uh, grew up in Southeast Kentucky. I was born here in Tennessee, over in Tazewell, Claiborne County, Tennessee, where I live now, basically. I'm in the Cumberland Gap, but um, still Claiborne County. And um, you know, I grew up uh, in Middlesboro, and um, my dad was a truck driver. He drove a coal truck and then later switched over and drove a log truck. 
And my dad's family was big into coon hunting. That was a big thing in Appalachia. You had walker, coon hounds, black and tans, blue ticks, uh, red bones. Uh, we had all sorts of coon hounds. And the big thing on a Friday and Saturday night was to go coon hunting in these hills in, in southeast Kentucky. And, um, you know, I'll be dead honest with you guys. I, I mean, I, I, I might like to go back and do it one time just for the hell of it, you know, just to say that I did. But, uh, man, when I was little, I just did not like walking that much because it would be a long-ass walk up one mountain and down the other. And your dogs would put a cocoon up a tree. And because I was the biggest kid there and, you know, my dad and my uncles would have to be the ones carrying the dogs. If they killed a raccoon, I was usually the one packing it back. And uh, that always sucked. Uh, so I never really particularly cared for it. And I was always kind of doing other things. And, uh, and at the time folks, I know it's going to be hilarious, but, uh, my dream when I was a little kid was to be a pro wrestler. That's all I ever wanted to be. Um, and I was a diehard fan of Ric Flair and the four horsemen. And in my mind, that's all I wanted to do when I grew up. So they started having wrestling come to Middlesbrough, Kentucky. First, it came to the YMCA it came to the Murray Myers gym over here in Harrogate. And then it started coming to the Red Man's Lodge in Middlesbrough, which was a bingo hall. And I go out there and I'm really wanting to become uh, a wrestler, but I'm 16 year old. And um, I go out there, I had a cousin who was a referee and that cousin um, uh, hooked me up with a dude that could you know, get me in the wrestling business. And the guy had me meet him out at the, at the bingo hall, like before the show started, I showed up like on a noon on a Saturday and for the next six hours, those guys beat the living shit clean out of me. I lied and told them I was 18. They knew I was lying, but didn't care. And, uh, they just proceeded to beat the shit out of me for six straight hours. And then I had what's called a dark match, believe it or not. Uh, dark match is the match that happens while people are still coming through the door before the show officially starts. Uh, and then I was told that if I would, uh, come up with $2,000 that they would train me. And there was a guy used to be in Knoxville named Buddy Landell, nature boy, Buddy Landell. He was like a dollar general Rick Flyer, but a great guy. Um, his gimmick was to be like a poor man's Rick Flyer. Um, they said he could train me if I would come up with that money. And, uh, I was 16 in school with no job and I start begging my dad for that money. And my dad, you know, didn't have that kind of money. And, even if he did, wasn't going to give it to me to take to Middlesbrough to a bingo hall to have somebody teach me how to play, to be a wrestler. It just wasn't happening. And, uh, around that time, you know, we, we was into the coon hunting real heavy and, uh, I was writing poetry in my notebook. And I, and the reason I, I told, I backtracked and told the wrestling story and the coon hunting story is because, you know, being a 15, 16 year old kid with poems in your notebook back then, you know, redneck dudes that loved wrestling and loved going coon hunting on the weekends would poke fun at you if they found out you wrote poetry. And I did get poked fun at a little bit, so I just kept it quiet and didn't let very many people know that that's what I was doing. And uh, But I had them there, and I didn't know what I was going to do with them, and they were just poems. They, they, I had no clue of ever putting it to a song or making anything out of it. That hadn't even crossed my mind yet. Um, but I'm sitting there super depressed over the fact that I can't go to that wrestling school, that I can't be trained to be a wrestler, and I can't come up with two grand. And, uh, one day my dad walks in my room and, uh, he says, Hey, you know, he, back when I was uh, a few years earlier, he had gave me this Walker coon hound. And those, those things go for some big money. These, these coon hunters, they trade dogs and swap dogs and sell dogs for some top dollar. You know, this is 1996, I would imagine somewhere through there. And, um, so dad comes in the room. He's like, Hey, you know, that dog that I gave you, you've never fed it. 
you don't water it anymore. I mean, my dad done all the feeding and watering for it. He said, you've not fed it or watered it in forever. I've had to take care of it. You don't go hunting with us anymore. And so uh, since you don't use it, I'm just going to sell it. And when that when he said that, I immediately thought, well, wait a minute, Dad, hold on. You know, that's uh, that's my dog. You can't sell my dog. And he said, well, I gave you the dog. <laughs> so he said, you didn't buy it from me. I gave it to you. And I said to him, I said, well, how much do you think you could get out of it? He said, I probably could get $500. And I was like, well, then let me sell it. I need $500. I maybe could use that as a down payment on wrestling skills. He's like, I'm not letting you take that money out there and give it to those guys to let them break your neck. So I got real upset about it. And a few minutes later, he comes walking in the room. And he has, it's sitting over here beside me, by the way, right here in this guitar stand right to my right right now. There's a Sigma acoustic guitar. Uh, Sigma is a... Uh, um, is a cheaper Martin. It's kind of like an Epiphone is to a Gibson or a Squire is to a Fender. And uh, he come walking in with it and he said, I'll tell you what, he said, uh, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to buy that dog off you, but you don't ever take the dog hunting and you don't go hunting anymore. And I don't play this guitar anymore. So how about I swap this guitar for that dog? I'll give you, I'll give you this guitar for that dog. And I was like, I don't know, Dad. I don't know if I'd ever really want to learn to play that. And he was like, well, you know, he said, it, it, and the way he pitched it, I'll never forget. He said, well, you know what? It could be a friend to you. He said, it could be something that you could just have. And, you know, you kind of get depressed or something. You want to reach over and play it. And he said, you might even come up with some, some of your own songs on it. And the minute he said that, it was like a light bulb went off. And I was like, wait a minute. Those poems in my notebook, I could, I could write songs. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. And so I took that. He showed me the G chord and couple other chords and then I picked up a Mel Bay chord book and learned the rest and next thing you know I'm strumming Hank Williams songs and I'm trying to set my songs to music and that's how I became a songwriter um and then from there I joined up with went from garage bands to bar bands and uh went out there and lived it up for over 20 years and dive bars in this part of the world and over the years I had some pretty cool things happen, you know, some some pretty big things happen. I got to record with Robbie Turner in Nashville. If you're not familiar with him, just Google it, R O B B Y Turner. Um he's played steel guitar on nine Waylon Jennings albums. He produced the last Waylon Jennings album of Going Down Rockin'. And so um, you know, I got to do that. I got to open up for a whole lot of cool people along the way. Uh, opened up for um Ray Wiley Hubbard, Scott Miller, Charlie Robinson. Uh, laid back country picker more recently. Uh, got dope up for Lucky Tub, uh, Jonathan Tyler in the Northern Lights, Roger Allen Wade, Blackfoot, Molly Hatchet, Jimmy Van Zant, um, a whole bunch of a whole bunch of people. Uh, the Singing Cooks that was a total fluke. Uh, I was in a honky tonk bar band and somehow they booked us right before the Singing Cooks on a Sunday, and pissed off a whole bunch of people in the Bible Belt, in Middlesbrough. They were madder than hell that this drunken country band went before the Singing Cooks, but. You know, over the years, I had some pretty cool stuff happen. But folks, if I'm being dead honest with you, from the minute I started writing songs, I hadn't wrote them very long until I started writing stuff that I felt was controversial. Um, you know, if someone said to me that I should write a song about the war in Iraq, I wasn't going to write a Toby Keith song about putting putting your boot in your ass or nothing. You know, I was gonna I was going to write a song about how the war was bullshit. And I was big time drawn and influenced by the political songwriters. I've always been influenced by them. My oldest son's name's Dylan. So that should tell my oldest son's name is Dylan Andrew Lennon. So um, that should tell you who I was listening to when I was 21 when Dylan was born. Uh, what happened, uh, I came up with Dylan and uh, Dylan's mom went for that. 
And then I wanted his middle name to be Lennon, and she wanted his middle name to be Andrew, and then we compromised and gave him three names. But uh, I've always been inspired by those political-type uh, songs, um, and that's what I've always wanted to write, and I did write them over the years. And I was big into comedians like uh, you know George Carlin, Bill Hicks, uh, Richard Pryor, Lenny Bruce, uh, and more recently, people like Doug Stanhope and uh, and Jim Jeffries. I love uh, social commentary style of, of humor, and I love dark humor. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson's another big influence. And for those of you that follow me on Patreon, you know I've made videos talking about the influence of Bill Hicks and talking about the influence of Hunter S. Thompson and how much they meant to me. And I just always wanted to be uh, Bill Hicks with a guitar or Hunter Thompson with a guitar. That's what I always wanted to be, but I just never could figure out how to do it because I was playing in dive bars in Jellicoe in Tazewell, Tennessee, uh, and you couldn't talk politics in there. I mean, hell, you could barely, you could barely, uh, you could get your ass kicked for looking at somebody wrong in those places. So uh, that definitely wasn't necessarily the place you wanted to do that. But uh, folks, before I keep going here, I, I've got to do this. I've got, and I want to let everybody know, quick time out. This might be a commercial, I guess. Um, I've, I've, I've got on a kick of drinking. I think I told this on one of my videos. I've got on a kick of drinking Modelo beers. And uh, I had people say, oh, no, you can't abandon the Miller High Life. I'm not. Miller High Life is still Brando beer. <laughs> and I have went out and bought some. And I've got one sitting here in front of me that I meant to open right before I started. But I haven't. And I can feel it getting warm. So, folks, thank you for tuning into this and allowing me to tell the story of how I become Tennessee Brando. But this Miller High Life, it's Miller time, folks. I got to have this. I had a long day. A great cookout with the kids and the family. And uh, now I'm going to sit here and enjoy this Miller High Life and tell you the rest of the story. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. That really hit spot. Thank you. So I always wanted to be, I always wanted to do political commentary. And um, around 2000, I don't know, eight or nine, somewhere through there, I discovered Bill Hicks. Now I've already discovered Hunter S. Thompson in high school. I'm a big Carlin fan, and I got big into Sam Kennison, too. One night, I was um, scrolling down on uh, YouTube, and I saw a video of Sam Kennison and Bill Hicks talking backstage, and I thought, who the hell's Bill Hicks? And I just scrolled through the comments, and one of them said, these are two of the great comics from Houston, Texas, part of the Houston Outlaw comic group. And I went, okay, who's Bill Hicks? And I clicked on him and just fell down into a well. Uh, and absolutely fell in love with Bill Hicks. He's one of my biggest idols. I've got a feather on my arm, a fountain pen on my arm uh, that have the words love, laughter, and truth at the bottom of it, which was Bill's last words to his fans. I left in love, laughter, and truth, and wherever love, laughter, and truth abide him there in spirit. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I was a big Bill Hicks fan. Um, and I just kept trying to come up with ways that I could do those kind of songs, but the environment I was in, you just it really wouldn't work. Uh, and to try to pitch those songs outside of that environment at that time, I just really didn't have the know-how or, or how to get it out there. There weren't vehicles like TikTok, and even though Twitter was there, I still hadn't figured it out yet. So uh, this is kind of, this is really, and like I said, I could do a whole series on on playing the dive bars, but like, I think where Tennessee Brando's roots was first laid was in discovering Bill Hicks um, and Hunter S. Thompson, but especially Bill Hicks, because what happened was around 20, maybe 10, something like that. I, I can't remember the year exactly. 2010 or 11, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, 
Well, backtracking just a little bit, I, I had got into writing blogs. I wrote blogs for a long time, and those have long disappeared, and I don't even know where they went. But um, I did write a lot of political blogs, but I never was able to do that, you know, in the dive bars I was playing. I wasn't allowed to take that kind of act in there. The groundwork to me really started when I come up with this idea that I would be a stand-up comedian. I thought, fuck it, I'll just, since I can't do this in music, you can do it in comedy, and I'll go that route. I'll do stand-up comedy. And, you know, when I was sitting around the bar talking to people at the bar, I could make people laugh. And when I was uh, riding down the road with the, the band, I could make people laugh. And I thought, well, you know, yeah, I've, I can make people laugh. I've, I've made rooms of people laugh before. And I've made people laugh as a musician on stage saying crazy wild shit in between songs. So, yeah, I can do this. I thought I could do it. So I go out there and I dress in all black like Bill Hicks and I go to the comedy club. And uh, I'm going to give you all a little peek behind the curtain as to, as to how some things unfolded. Um, up at this point, I had always just went under my birth name, which is Brandon Fusen. Last name is spelled F-U-S-O-N. There's no L. I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, people always got that confused with Fusion, and they still do. If they see that name on paper, they automatically pronounce it Fusion, and it's not. Fusen is pronounced F U. It's it's F it's spelled F U S O N but it is pronounced F E W like few sun. It's if if you wrote it out on paper the way it's actually pronounced it would be F E W S O N. Uh, so people always uh, screwed that up, and um, so when I go out to do the comedy, I just I simply go out you know I'm just Brandon at that point because they they just butchered my name everywhere I went. Um, and I did end up using, uh, Folsom. Uh, I put an L in it one night because the guy couldn't say it. I stuck an L in it and he said, Folsom, fine. And I said, okay, fine. Just, I'll just roll with this. So I'm out there and I went to this comedy club called, uh, called, uh, uh, side splitters in Knoxville. And I get up there and you got to do like three minutes or six minutes. I can't remember what it was. I might've been six. But I get up there, and man, did I learn real quick that stand-up comedy wasn't for me. Um, I did I did it probably five, four, five, six times maybe. I don't remember exactly how many times. I went every week there for a while. Um, and I mean, it, I was a deer in headlights, folks. It is completely different. If you think you can make your buddies laugh at a party, or you think you can make people laugh as a musician on stage, being a comedian is something completely different. And... You know, take, for example, like when you're in a band, you sit and work a song and work a song and work a song until you get it right. There's a big difference between working a song with a group of people versus working a joke all along by yourself on a stage. And if that joke don't go over and people don't laugh, you're just standing there with the egg on your face. Um, I remember one night, uh, I kept getting some decent laughs, not a lot, but I, I was doing okay enough to where they were saying, yeah, you're doing okay, just keep trying. But I was doing some real edgy political commentary. I was really trying to rock that boat like Bill Hicks. And I got told, Hey, you know, you better be careful doing that because, uh, you'll never get hired as an open act for a clean comic. You know, you'll, they'll, they'll, they'll never hire you for doing that, that super over the top political stuff. Um, they kept telling me I needed to work up a clean set. So, um, you know, stuff like that. And I went out one night and absolutely killed it at side splitters. Absolutely killed it. Got a thunderous ovation. And I thought, I did it. I've done it now. I'm going to be a comedian. It's going to work. And I'm probably going to you know, be a musician slash comedian. It's going to work. 
But then I uh, went back the very next week, uh, pulled out some new jokes, threw in some of the old ones, and I went over like a turd in a punch bowl, man. I didn't get a laugh. I just had people staring at me like, what the hell is he saying? And I was supposed to go six minutes, and I might have went three and a half, and I literally just raised my hand up to the crowd, and I said, I ain't got nothing else for you folks. I'm done with this shit. It's, I'm done. And I walked off stage, and I really felt heartbroken. I thought, man, this ain't for me. I can't fucking do this. But, uh, you know, I had written the blogs for years. I had went off on these political rants uh, around the house for years. Politics has always been talked to my family. And anybody that's ever dated me or married, been married to me can tell you that I talk politics every day of my life. It's something that I always talk about. I don't ever remember not talking about politics. So I ranted all through the Bush years. I ranted all through the Obama years, uh, right on up. And, uh, I j- but I just never could figure out how to get those two things hooked together. So, um, I don't remember the exact year that he busted onto the scene, but, um, my ex-wife, the son, uh, my, my son Emmett's mom, Marie, uh, she used to always tell me, she's like, you just need to get on Facebook, get on YouTube and start talking. She's like, don't try to be a stand-up comedian. She's like, you can't, don't do that. She said, just talk about social issues. Just be a social commentator. Just talk. And I said, oh, God, I can't do that. I was like, I got to come up with jokes. I got to come up with some one-liners. She's like, no, you don't. And she just kept telling me, she's like, that's your calling. That's what you're supposed to do. She's like, these rants you're doing to me when you're just, when you're just talking to me. She said, they're, they're great. She's like, that's what you need to be doing. And she just kept preaching that to me. And um, other people preached it to me. I had several people say to me, that's what you need to be doing. And I'd always just kind of blow it off like, but that ain't how you be a stand-up comic. Because at that time, I hadn't seen anybody do the act that I kind of morphed into doing now. And I don't remember what year he burst onto the scene, but whenever Trey Crowder busted out with the whole liberal redneck character, and by the way, Trey Crowder was at Side Splitters on some of the nights that I got up there and bombed, uh, Trey Crowder was up there doing his act. Uh, and then one day, uh, he gets on Facebook, I believe it was first, and he just rips off this brilliant, you know, rant from his porch or some shit. And it went viral, you know. And then everything he touched went viral. And uh, Marie and several other people told me, like, that that's what you should have been. That's what we were talking about. That's what you needed to be doing. And I was like, well, now it's his gimmick. I, I mean, I remember her saying to me, you were the liberal redneck. That was your whole thing. You know, you, 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 you've been the liberal redneck all these years. That was you. You should have been the one doing that. You should. And then she's like, well, just get out there and do it. You can do it too. And I'm going, I don't want to do that. Because at that point, it, it, it almost felt like, well, if I do it now, I'm just going to look like I'm trying to copy the guy. And I, and I didn't want to do that. So I just, you know, again, I just sort of let it go. Um, and kept on writing my songs and kept on pushing forward. I uh, moved to Knoxville in 2012. I spent uh, a couple of years living there. I made a lot of connections there and then ended up recording my music there. And, I, I, you know, Knoxville's kind of been my second home, my home away from home ever since, uh, even though I ended up moving back here in 2015. Um, you know, I, Knoxville's been my home away from home, and it's where so much of my music and so much of my stuff gets created, where my band's based and everything else. So um, a lot of things happened. I kept pushing forward. A lot of good things happened. I got to play at a lot of good shows. I got to play at a lot of good events. But the whole time, I'm still kind of, in some ways, 
let down and disappointed that I never could figure out how to be that comedian too, that I never could figure out how to bridge those two things together. And that's something that really bothered me um, was that I never was able to pull that off. But I'll tell you this much. I never one time thought about going back into stand-up comedy. Fuck that. Um, like I said, that is, that's a completely different beast um, that I don't want to ever try to wrestle again as long as I live. But uh, I just kept kind of going forward and I would write songs that would rock the boat. Um, back in, uh, 2013, I believe it was, I wrote Old Farts and Jackasses, which was back when Blake Shelton said the only people that wanted to listen to country music was a bunch of old, like their, he said, nobody wants to hear their granddaddy's music except a bunch of old farts. And I wrote Old Farts and Jackasses. That one went viral. Then I wrote one called Writing About Whaling. It went viral. And that's why I got to record with Robbie Turner. And over the years, I just kept writing songs and I would have viral songs, but it was always viral songs when I rocked the boat. Uh, it was always viral songs when I spoke out against another entertainer or made more of a political statement. The songs would go viral. So as I'm going along making my albums, um, some of the songs would have a little bit, they would have like a hint of politics. Uh, a lot of times I would kind of leave that open for interpretation. I wouldn't necessarily come out as blunt with it or as, as you know, I wouldn't come straight forward with it as hard. But... Um, you know, political tinge songs did start working their way in to my music. Uh, but it was more dead serious stuff. <clears throat> um, I had, like I said earlier, I had, I had videos go viral along the way. Um, I actually recorded a complete rock, almost punk rock album with a group called the Bitter Resisters right after Donald Trump got elected. And, uh, that's just one of those projects. We just never got it off the ground for some reason. Um, but I wrote a song called Black Jewel, White Lies, which is a protest song as to how the, the Black Jewel coal miners were treated uh, and how they were robbed out of their money. I wrote that song, and that one went viral. Um, so over time, you know, I, I was starting to write stuff that, that was getting... I was getting viral videos. Um, but then there was this one... I'm going along, I'm making my albums, I'm injecting some politics here and there, uh, but I haven't sat down and just talked. You know, I've not done that. I've not, because in my mind, I was like, I don't want to be Trey Crowder. I don't want people thinking I'm trying to be Trey Crowder. And so I, I just, I, that's why I never really did it. And then I think really, you know, what I've told you up to this point was stuff that laid the groundwork for Tennessee Brando. But I think what definitely really kicked it in the high gear and looking back at it, I should have probably just kept rolling with the punches right here. Uh, Tyler Childers, who's a great, uh, country artist out of Kentucky. He he made an album called Long Violent History. It was an all fiddle album, except at the very end, he came in with a song called Long Violent History, which talked about racism in America. He also put out a, vi a, a video called Message from Tyler, and he uh, told exactly where he stood on it all. And when he did, boy, did he piss off a lot of rednecks in, in Kentucky, and I'm, I'm sure all over the South, people are fans of him. They all got super pissed off. And everybody just came down on the guy, roasted him. He was smart enough to turn the comments off on his video, but uh, everybody else didn't. And so when people shared it, you would just see him getting roasted in the comment section. I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute, hold on, folks. This is one of this guy's one of us, okay? This guy come from the same part of the world that we all come from. He's Appalachian. He's he's one of us. He uh, he's a he's a smart, intelligent, uh, talented artist, you know. And I said, in my, you know, later I would say, you know, why are you listening to Kid Rock and Ted Nugent and not one of your own? 
you know, just hear him out. You don't have to agree with every word he says, but could you at least hear him out? So I sat down and I made about a seven minute video just defending Tyler Childers. And it was like my reaction to Tyler Childers' long violent history. And right there, and I think this is 2019, but right there is where, um, uh, or it might have been 2020, right there is where the, um, um, it was 2020, I believe. But right there is where the, um, sorry, the years run together on me. Right there is where the ball really got, that's where the, the Tennessee Brando ball landed in my court and I just hadn't caught on yet, you know. It's like, uh-oh, the ball's in your court now, but what are you going to do with it? Um, because that video blew up like sixty or 70,000 views in no time flat. And I had people message me, telling me how good it was, how much they enjoyed it. I had people come up to me at shows and shake my hand. I would go to festivals, uh, whether I was playing the festival or just hanging out at it, and I'd have people walk up, hey, you're that guy that made that video defending Tyler. And I just kept getting that more and more. And one guy, I'm sure he wouldn't care if I name-dropped him, a great friend, uh, Ted Messer, he walked up to me, and I'll never forget this. He said, man, he said, uh, you're onto something there. He said, you, you, maybe you just need to start talking. Maybe you just need to keep talking. I went, ah, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, in my mind, I just went, yeah, I don't know. And then one day, you know, somebody told me about the TikTok app. And uh, I got it, downloaded it into, into my phone. Uh, just put Brandon Folsom Music was my name on there. And, uh, um, you know, but I... I, I I just saw a bunch of people falling down and a bunch of girl dancing around in their underwear and stuff. And it didn't seem like anything that I would ever really want to be a part of, but I began trying to put some music clips on there and I couldn't get just a couple of hundred followers on it. Nothing really was happening. And, um, then I saw a friend of mine, uh, Sarah Baker. I saw her doing some political commentary, social commentary, just sitting in her car, basically, uh, talking about things. And I thought, man, I really like how she's doing that. And I thought, okay, I'll try that. So I started making a couple of them. And then I made, uh, one reacting to the, to the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. Uh, and then I logged off TikTok and didn't get back on it for a couple of days. And when I got back on it, I had that video had over 30 some thousand views and I had gained thousands of followers comments coming from every direction. I was going, holy shit. And right there is when I decided to change, uh, from my, from my name over to more of a moniker, um, like more of a handle kind of thing. And I, you know, I, my, my whole life, my grandmother called me Brando. I've said this before, but my grandmother, she started calling me Brando because her favorite actor was Marlon Brando. And uh, that was always my nickname. And a lot of my close, closest friends calls me that. Um, it just becomes something that kind of stuck, especially around the house and with my, with my family. It was like, it was, I was always Brando. And of course, when I tried to enter in the name Brando uh, on TikTok, you know, there's, there's thousands of people using that name. So I had to come up with something. And I just, th I just remember thinking to myself, well, hmm. I don't remember if I saw someone else with like, I know there's Texas Paul and Texas Trey and Boston Smalls that I, that I would meet later. I don't remember if I saw somebody with like the state's name in front or why the hell I did it other than just like, well, I was born in Tennessee. And uh, also, if I'm being dead honest with you, I just did it to be different because the Kentucky music scene was blowing up so hard. And I was part of that for a while. Um, you know, grew up there and lived there and everything and had a lot of songs that had ties to there. 
But I'm always the type of person that whatever's hot, I'm going to go the opposite direction because I don't ever want to be accused of trying to rip somebody off. Uh, and so I just put a TN and an underscore in Brando. And I really didn't even think about it in, in the sense of it being Tennessee Brando. I just kind of put just, it was just like the TN was just there so that I could have that name and I could have that profile. That's really, that's, that's really why it was there. And then a guy named Superman Todd out of Bowling Green, Kentucky, in that part of the world, he tagged me in a video telling people to go follow me that he loved my stuff. And he's like, that guy's was this new guy on TikTok. His name is Tennessee Brando. And I was like, Tennessee Brando? I was like, well, yeah, I guess it kind of is if you look at it that way. If you read it the way I wrote it, I guess it is Tennessee Brando. Um, and if I'm being honest with you, I always had the idea that I would have some sort of alias, that I would have some sort of moniker, that I would have some sort of gimmick in a sense, that it would be a name like that. I just never could come up with one. And, you know, flat out Brando, there's a rapper called Brando and shit like that. And there's, you know, there's Marlon Brando. And, you know, I just, I, I always wanted to, to, to get away and, 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 and not use Brandon Fusen or Brandon Folson. And, you know, Brandon Folson literally came along as a fluke because I had used it a couple of times. And then I went down to, to Knoxville to do an open mic night one night. And this guy could not pronounce Fusen to save his life. And I thought back on how I'd used Fulson, and I said, put an L in it. And he put an L in it and said it. And then that night, I won a contest that I didn't even realize I was in, but we were in a contest for the, the whoever whoever's song won would get played on the radio. And they played me on the radio and, and, and made this big Facebook post about me, and it was Brandon Fulson's the winner of this thing. And I just rolled with it, you know. Uh, that's literally how that name came about. For those of you that knew me before, um, it was totally a fluke. It was like, well, if, okay, since no one can pronounce my, my, last, my real last name, we'll just roll with this. But to be dead honest with you, it's not something I ever really enjoyed. And it's, and it's not something that I ever really, like anywhere else I was in this world, I always answered, I never changed it legally. You know, I've had people ask me that. I never changed it legally. I've never used it anywhere other than when I'm on stage or social media. You know, that's, that's pretty much all it became was just a stage name. And in my mind, I would go back to how John Hartford was originally John Hartford with no T. And, you know, Johnny Paycheck was uh, Donnie Young and Donnie Little. But, you know, I just, I, I would think about it that way. But in the back of my head, I just always thought that I would, I would much prefer more of a, a, a moniker and like an alias type of name, you know, and then when I did that again, it's always been a fluke. My name changes have always been flukes. Uh, I just happened to put that T in an underscore there just so I could have that profile. And then Superman Todd makes the video, this is Tennessee Brando. And then other people, hey, Tennessee Brando. And I went, okay, I guess we're rolling with that. I guess that's what we're going to do now. And I started making TikToks and they just started going through the roof. You know, um, I told the story before, but for those of you that are new listeners, um, Around the time that I made the Kyle Rittenhouse video, the reaction, and got off there. During that time, I got to thinking about how, you know what? Fuck it. I just want to talk. I want to be Bill Hicks with a guitar. I want to be Hunter Thompson with a guitar. I want to talk politics and social commentary. There's way too much shit going on in the world to stay quiet. There's way too many issues at hand to not be talking about them. And I thought, you know what? Fuck it. So I was sitting there watching this Hunter S. Thompson documentary, and he's just giving uh, Nixon pure hell. And they were reading that uh, eulogy that he wrote for Nixon. And I was like, God, if you've never read that, look up Hunter S. Thompson's eulogy for Richard Nixon. I swear, 
he could just change Nixon for Trump and it would fit. But um, I was sitting there watching that and I was really depressed. I'd lost a lot of people in my life that I love. Had a lot of deaths in the family. My last living uncle on my mom's side had passed away and I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to sit down and start talking politics and religion. I remember thinking to myself, like, what do you need to do next year to push the music forward and do better? I thought, well, you know, I've been doing the same thing over and over. And what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So I said to myself, well, what should you not do? I thought, well, you're never supposed to talk politics and religion if you're a liberal in the Bible Belt. So fuck it. Let's just do it. I sat down and made a 15-minute YouTube video that never aired. Because what happened was I made that video and then I kind of got discouraged and went, ain't nobody going to want Nobody's going to want to hear that. Nobody's going to give two shits about that. Uh, they won't make it through 15 minutes. Who would sit and listen to anything for 15 minutes? And when I logged back on TikTok and saw how TikTok had blew up and realized, you know, the tsunami that I had created, that's when I decided to just take what I talked about in that 15-minute video and whittle it down into three-minute or one-minute uh, TikToks. And that's how it all started. From there, you know, that, that, that really picked up steam and got me. I'm up to 177,000 followers with 3 million total likes now. And then, you know, so that definitely got me over the hump. Then uh, last uh, June or July, I become a contributor for the Midas Touch Network. And that really put me on the map in front of a whole new audience. And like I said, going back earlier in, in, the, in the show, I, I, you know, they did help me really get my ball, the ball rolling on Twitter again. And so, you know, now here's, the, here's an interesting window of time in, in Tennessee Brando's world. And I'm just going to be real open and honest with y'all about this because I feel like I can. I feel like that you are, you're here because you want to be. And I feel like that uh, if I can open up and uh, talk to you about things I've talked to you about and write the songs that uh, I've written, I feel like I can just be as blunt and open as I can be with this. Um, as Tennessee Brando began to blow up on, on TikTok and began to blow up on Midas Touch, and I began getting half a million views. I'd never got, you know, I've never in my life got half a million views on YouTube with my music, but I did with Midas Touch. I had videos that went over half a million. Um, TikTok, you know, I had videos go over a million, several. Um, and then people would say to me, well, hey, play one of your songs. Let them know you're a musician. Play your songs. And I would play the songs. And they would, if you know, if I put a video up of me roasting Donald Trump, I get a hundred thousand views. If I put a video up of me singing a dead serious song I wrote, I might be lucky to crack twelve hundred views. And that really kind of got under my skin, folks. I can't lie because you say to yourself, "Wait a minute! I've been doing something for twenty five years of my life, you know, and I've been at this a long time, and I've worked really hard, and you know, the old cliche, I paid my dues, which I don't even know if." Anymore, I wonder if paying your dues was ever even really a thing because it just feels like the more you pay them, the more people shits on you, really, from my experience. But I just began to uh, to question it. Like, well, shit, you know? Like, why can't I get the music over too? But I kept just keeping my nose to the grindstone and pushing forward and making the videos because I truly love doing it. I truly love making the Midas Touch videos. I truly love making the TikToks. I absolutely love talking about the social issues. I love rocking the boat. I love talking about the issues at hand, reacting to other people's comments and reacting to current events. I absolutely loved it. But in the back of my head, I'm going, why can't I get the music over? What's wrong with the music? Why can't I get it there too? And that bugged me. I can't lie. It, it, it bugged me. Um, you know, imagine if, you know, you spent your whole life, you know, whatever the case may be, let's say you spent your whole life 
dedicated to becoming a surgeon and you never could, you know, make it or get a good paying job. And then one day you just, you know, you put a bandaid on a scrape <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're like this, everybody's coming to you for that. I don't know. It just, that might be a really shitty analogy, but I'm just saying it was like all of a sudden, you know, you dedicated your life to something and then something else is what took over. And it took me a while. There was a period I went through there uh, where that, you know, it was really hard to try to, to try to reason with it and, 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 you know, bring it all together is what I'm trying to say. It, it took me a while and I began losing gigs and I began losing friends. I began having people that, you know, that used to always help me and book me and work with me, stop talking to me and ghost me, uh, because of the videos I was releasing, uh, People said things that got back to me because they don't realize it's a small town. They don't realize when you talk about people in a small town, you know, Miranda Lambert, what's that song? Everybody dies famous in a small town. Well, they do. And if you get drunk on a bar stool and say a bunch of shit uh, two minutes down the road or an hour down the road from me, it's going to make it back to me. <laughs> and so it just kind of, I thought, well, you know, I've kind of shot the music in the foot and, uh, you know, I'm never, you know, doing this. So I might as well just put my, you know, just put my head down and keep doing the videos like I'm doing, keep going forward with it. And then I went through a phase where I couldn't write a song to save my ass, you know, and, and I almost would just refuse to, like, if I even had an idea, I would just sort of push it out of my head and go, ah, fuck it. What's the point? You know, they just want me to talk about shit. So I'll just talk. And it took me a while. And I know that that may sound confusing to some of you. Some of you may be listening going, well, I loved your music and I loved your social commentary and I loved them both. And to you guys, I appreciate all of you. I'm just saying I wasn't able to, to really get it over the way I wanted to. And that always was kind of eating at me and gnawing at me. And then, I don't know, like the world is just getting so much more fucked and so much more crazy and so much more over the top ridiculous you know, and Governor Bill Lee did his thing, you know, passing laws against drag queens and suddenly drag queens become the new thing that the right wing is scared shitless of. And I just thought, you know, fuck it. And I just wrote Bill Lee as a drag real fast. Didn't put a lot of thought into it. I just wrote it, put it out there and boom. It's the first song that got double digit. <laughs> uh, you know, before I might've had a song that might've got two or 3,000, maybe 5,000. Uh, and I, don't get me wrong, I did, now, er, back to what, what I was talking about earlier, I did have viral songs pre-Tennessee Brando. But I'm saying once I got the Tennessee Brando moniker going, I never could I never could go back and have any success with the music. So I was a little bit frustrated. And then that song blew up. And then the Winter Waving in Waco really blew up. And it was right there where, as I wrote Winter Waving in Waco, the, where that song came from is this simple. Um... This guy, um, I was smoking a cigar in one of my TikTok video or tw Twitter videos. I started doing videos and putting them on Twitter, trying to gain some talk there. And that's when Patton Oswald retweeted one of my talking videos. He didn't retweet a music video, but he retweeted one of my talking videos. And that really launched me over and got people to listen to me on Twitter. And in one of those videos, I was smoking a cigar and I'm kind of, I talk with my hands, move my hands around a lot. And some troll comments and says, uh, you know, uh, what are you doing waving a wiener around? Looks like you're waving your wiener around. And he was referring to my cigar. And I said, uh, no, man. I said, uh, the wiener waving was in Waco yesterday. That was my comment back to the guy. And then I went, holy shit. And I just jumped up, wrote the song, 
five minutes or less, put it up on, on t- Twitter, and it just went boom. It just went through the roof. And from there, I you know, wrote the Kid Rock and Travis Tritt. Anytime I saw something happen, I just wrote about it. I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. I just went about it real fast. But I was able to marry it all together. I was able to bring that Bill Hicks comedy influence because if you go back and you can find footage of Bill Hicks roasting some people just mercilessly, you know, he was so good at it uh, up there, like when he's doing the whole thing. Uh, and I, I, some of these artists I even like, but when he's doing the whole thing and he's poking fun at Rick Astley, you know, never want to make you cry, never want to say goodbye. You know, at, when, he's, when he's mocking them and just, and just making fun of the whole thing and we're rock stars for Diet Coke, we drink Diet Coke, like, that whole thing that Bill Hicks did like that, you know, uh, wh- wh- the whole skit he did where, you know, I don't care if my rock stars died and pulls their own vomit. I want somebody that plays with their fucking heart. You know, that influence just, I just channeled that to write Kid Rock Won't Drink Bud Light anymore. It was, in my mind, it was just like him when he would poke fun at Jay Leno. Oh, I'm Jay Leno. I'm going to do a Dorito commercial. You know, that, that whole way he went about it. That's what I started doing. Uh, you know, uh, the Travis Tritt song. Yeah, you know what? As a country musician playing in dive bars for the last 20 years, yeah, I covered quite a few Travis Tritt songs over the years. I think he's got a great voice, but I just think he's been a total idiot and a total imbecile these days. And I thought that it just needed to be poked fun at and laughed at. And that's why, you know, I had somebody said to me, you need a vocal coach. And the funny part was I wasn't even trying to sing. I literally was trying to sing in a slapstick voice for the first time ever. You know, I wanted, I wanted to show just how ridiculous and idiotic I thought it was. And I was channeling that Bill Hicks influence. And, you know, then I saw the tweet of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Stormy Daniels going at each other. And Stormy Daniels said, Marjorie, he won't fuck you, but I don't know, maybe he will. And I thought, oh, shit, there's one. And so I just kept, you know, pounding them out. And I've had literally eight or nine viral music videos as of late and talking videos that's went over the top as well. And so uh, I just can't thank you guys enough for that because you don't realize what a dark place you brought me out of by retweeting and sharing these videos. And to hear people say, you're a good songwriter again, I can't begin to tell you what it meant to me. Uh, I was nominated for awards. Uh, One year I was nominated for an Appy and I I was up against Chris Knight and Nicholas Jamerson, both of which are phenomenal and Chris Knight won and rightfully so I mean no one should have won that but him uh the following year uh they put me up for male vocalist but I didn't I didn't think I was I was ever a singer um this past year I was back up for the songwriter again but I didn't make it into the finals um but you know I I I got an honorable mention one time in the Smoky Mountain Songwriters Festival uh for for a song I wrote um and I, I had several articles written over the years about my songwriting, but it had been a long time since anyone had said that uh, because everybody was so amped up and excited to hear me talk. And trust me, like I said earlier, it, I love talking. And I love, I, I, I'm going to get off here when I get done making this podcast. And I'm going to dive on Twitter and pump out some more shit I want to talk about. I love doing it. But you guys really brought me back from a, from a dark place with these funny ass songs that weren't meant to be, they, they were meant to give you a laugh because it's a fucked up world and Marjorie Taylor Greene is a piece of human garbage 
I, I mean that. I'm not joking. I, I'm not doing satire when I say that. I can't stand that woman. And I think she deserves to be laughed at at every chance. If we can find a way to laugh at her, when a porn star roasts her, and I can find a way to twist that into a song, then good. <laughs> you know, just because my, my Nana, who gave me the name Brando, she used to always say to me, it's better to laugh than it is to cry. And, you know, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. And that's what we're doing here, folks. We're, we're, we're learning to laugh at a lot of this stuff. Uh, you know, when I turned it on and saw Lindsey Graham sitting there looking like Donald Trump with his orange skin, his blonde hair, I just went, oh shit, that's a song. I hate I missed out on Rudy Giuliani and the shoe polish running down his fucking face. Uh, but I'm not we're a bit worried about Rudy. He will give me material in no time flat. And for all of you that say, well, you're going to write one about Ron DeSantis or you're going to write one about uh, Lauren Boebert. I wrote one about Lauren Boebert last night. I just haven't posted it yet. And to be honest with you, I'm just waiting for her to fuck up so I can post it. Because I wrote it in a way that we can have a good laugh at her expense. Um, but I'm just waiting for her to do something ridiculous and post it. <laughs> uh, and also, folks, uh, this is something cool here. We're up to 10 songs. I've got 10 songs complete in the studio ready to be on the album. Uh, we've got Bill Lee as a drag, Winter Waving in Waco, Kid Rock Won't Drink Bud Light Anymore, Travis Trist Throwing a Fit, Marjorie He Won't Fuck You, Lindsey Graham Turned Orange, The Tennessee Three, Don Jr.'s High on Dope, Elon's Rocket Went Boom, and The Fox is Lying to You. I have all those songs laid down and ready to go. Uh, hopefully Monday we're going to be back in the studio doing four more, uh, which one of them is uh, Hell Dolly, which I wrote. You all have heard that if you've been watching me on Twitter and stuff. Um, and I've got four more at least. And folks, by the time this album's over, it may be about a 16 or 18 song album. I do want to have some serious moments on it. Uh, I'll go ahead and give you all a little peek behind the curtain. I wrote one song uh, called Freaks Reading Books, which is not about drag queens. It's about the priest. <laughs> they're the real freaks that's reading books to children and programming them and grooming them. Uh, so there, I want there to be, I know a lot of you are going to want to laugh from one end of it to the other, and we will. But uh, I feel like there needs to be some serious moments. I feel like there needs to be some, you know, the Tennessee Three was a dead serious song, and I feel like there needs to be a little bit more balance on the album and have a, not, you know, and have some moments where we really look deep into certain things and we really call out a lot of things. And sometimes, sometimes not everything can be called out in a comedic way, and that's why it's called dark comedy to start with. If you go back to Bill Hicks again, uh, that influence, uh, and if you don't know who Bill Hicks is, just Google it and you will see where so much of my influence come from. Um, you know, Bill Hicks would get up there and he would make his smoking jokes. He would make his, uh, his jokes about uh, reading in a Waffle House and stuff like that. Uh, but then when he got down to doing his jokes about Waco, Texas, uh, you know, he got real serious. And even though he was on a stage making jokes, uh, the one line that always just really stung me, it really stung the shit out of me, is when he's talking about Waco, Texas. And he says, well, they said they had to burn the compound down because child molestation was going on. Okay, then how come you don't knock down some Catholic churches? You know, that took balls to say that in Texas. That took balls to say that in Texas. And Bill Hicks said that in Texas. Um, you know, he made, uh, uh, those kind of, th those moments of Bill Hicks I loved. And so when I wrote the song Freaks Reading Books, again, I was channeling Bill Hicks. I can't wait for you guys to hear that song, uh, because it's going to be, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a rocker too. Me and the band's going to rock the balls off that one. And, um, you know, there's going to be those moments of, 
of, of let's think about something for a minute. There's going to be those moments of let's have some, some dark moments and let's, let, let's, let's really ponder and think about this. And this isn't necessarily funny. Um, but the dark humor will always be there leading the way because, again, Bill Hicks said, and maybe I'll have to do a whole episode on Bill Hicks, but Bill Hicks one time said that the way he came up with his material was he took hypocrisy and he held it up to the light and he just started nailing jokes to that hypocrisy until he figured out everything about it. And that's pretty much what we're doing. We, we together, you guys are giving the songs to me whether you realize it or not. Some of your comments ends up becoming songs and your encouragement makes me want to keep doing it. Uh, when a person gets discouraged, especially as a musician, and let me just tell you something, folks. I may not agree with every musician out there in this world. Uh, I, there, there's musicians that are local musicians right around me who I know don't agree with my politics and I don't agree with theirs. But I understand how hard it is to put yourself out there on the line um, every day of your life. And musicians get more rejection in one day than most people do in a lifetime. You can really get down in some dark places when you're in the music world. And people that pulls the strings in the music world, they don't necessarily understand what, what kind of a responsibility they have. They, they really don't understand what it is. They've got, they, they've got their finger on the pulse of something that I don't think they fully understand what they have their finger on. In a lot of the music scenes that I've been a part of, and I've met some great people and got to play on some great stages and open some for some fantastic people. And there is some really good people in the music community. But there's also cliques. And there's also groups of people who they decide who comes to town and who don't. They decide who opens a show and who don't. And that's why I said earlier that I don't necessarily know that paying dues means anything anymore. Because you can pay dues for 20 years and you can get pushed to the bottom for some kid that just come out of nowhere. You know, so I don't necessarily know that that's even a thing. But in these music communities, there's cliques. They'll tell you that in this town, that's a songwriting town, and in this town over here, that's a country town, and in this town, it's more of a blues town. No, it's the fact that the people that's got their fingers on the pulse in that town like singer-songwriters, and the people over in the next town that have their finger on the pulse, they like blues rock, and the next people like country, that's why the musicians end up gravitating to that part of the world. They're trying to get in there, to get in that circle, to have their music heard. But when somebody busts their balls and works really hard to get an album out, and then they need to get shows to promote that album, and they reach out to a festival promoter or a, or a promoter in general and say, hey, you know, we would like to come play our album in front of you. Um, and... They, they're people that have worked hard, paid their dues, and they're well-known in their community, and they get passed over for somebody from out of town that nobody knows, no one's ever heard of before. They get passed over what the person that said no to them doesn't realize is you just said no to, to, uh, to hours and hours of hard work, years upon years of dedication, you know, and thousands of dollars spent to make something only to be told, come back and try again next year. So I understand how musicians can get down. I understand how low musicians can get. And the people that hold those positions of power, I'm not saying that everybody deserves every spot or everybody's entitled to something. That's not what I mean at all. But when you have, when you see someone that, 
I'll never understand this. You can't make me understand this. I have seen this happen so many times. I have seen artists keep people coming back to a certain town for, for all year long. And when the big show, the big festival comes around, the promoter will say, well, we don't need to see him. We saw him here all damn year. We don't need to see him. We need to get somebody else that they ain't seen before. What you don't realize is that all the tourism comes in that could see the guy that kept the place afloat for all those fucking years. They don't think that through. And it, all, it's, it's, it becomes a click. It becomes something where people, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. You book my boy, I'll book your girl. That's what it boils down to. And a lot of hard work and good musicians falls through the cracks. And I'll say this, and do not give two fucks who it offends. These promoters that gets these tourism checks handed to them, 50 grand, do what you want to do with that money and bring what you want to bring to our part of the world. You didn't go out there and bust your balls and earn that. You didn't go out there and damn near die in a dive bar. You didn't go out there and pay no dues whatsoever. Now you've got money to throw at whoever you like, whoever you choose. And it's your taste. And you can, you, you, you can pass over people that have busted their balls, and I've seen it happen. There's so many times I've seen musicians that I knew, like, man, that guy's busted his balls forever, but this little kid here with the fucking mullet that nobody fucking knows just showed up, and because he's, he's the cousin to this cousin and to that cousin, he's here. That's bullshit. And I don't, I don't give a fuck who likes what I said or not. I understand why musicians get down. I understand why they get down. And so getting back on subject here, you know, you guys will never know what you did for me, bringing me out of, 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 a, of a dark place and giving me my confidence back to do what I do. And now, you know, I'm not out here trying to impress anybody. There is a, there is a freedom when you're no longer trying to fit into those cliques. There's a freedom when you're no longer trying to get those gigs. When you're just not giving a fuck, you know, hopefully something will eventually come along and I'll get to take my music out and play it in front of people again and not just have to do it here at my kitchen table in my garage. But I'm, I'm, I would much rather sit here at my table or out in my shed and play the songs that I like to play and, the st and stand for the beliefs that I stand for as opposed to going out there and being somebody I'm not, you know, and standing up there and, and plowing through stuff. And well, you know, don't say this or don't say that. Fuck that, you know. I found platforms to say stuff on, and you guys have given me the encouragement, and uh, I will always be eternally grateful for that. You know, um, but we, you know, we, we've come a long way with this, and we've got the ball rolling in some really good ways, and uh, you guys uh, helped give me my confidence back. And to any musician out there who is struggling with their confidence, and I've seen some that are. I've seen some that are upset because they're not getting booked. They've worked hard, and they're, they're, not, they're not getting the shows they want to get. They're not landing the spots they want to get. A lot of people will say to you, well, just keep on doing what you do. Or a lot of people will say to you, maybe if you did this, maybe if you tried this, or maybe if you kissed that person's ass real good, maybe they get you in there. Go over and talk to her. Uh, she knows what she's talking about. She's real music. Fuck her. Fuck that. Let, let, me, let me tell you what my advice will be to you. Don't kiss nobody's ass. You be who you are, regardless of who that is. And don't worry, and stop worrying about who writes an article about you, and stop worrying about who books you, and stop worrying about what spots you get, and stop, stop comparing yourself to everybody else out there, because there's only you. You're the only one that's out there. 
My good buddy Mike McGill one time told me, and I, he told me who said this quote, it's not his, but he said that he heard a quote, comparison is the thief of joy. And it is. When you start comparing yourself to other people, you will always lose your joy because guess what? No two stories are the same. No two people's stories are the same. If Waylon Jennings inspires you to play music, your story is not going to go like Waylon Jennings. If Buddy Holly inspires you to play music, your, your, your story is not going to go like Buddy Holly. If Lady Gaga inspires you to be a musician, your story is not going to go like Lady Gaga. Your story is going to be yours. And you're the only one that gets to tell it. You're the only one that gets to write it. You're the only one that gets to put it down. And you're in control of it. So to the ones that says, well, come back and try again next year, or maybe if you did this, or maybe if you sung this, or maybe if you did that. No, be you and quit worrying about getting all these spots. Quit worrying, you know, like the song, I know a lot of you listen to this, probably listens to a lot of the same alternative kind of country music I listen to. I love the song Hippies and Cowboys by Cody Jinks. If you've never heard it, go out of your way to find it. And in it, he says, you know, um, I've never been a part of any musical scene. I ain't just talking national, if you know what I mean. They don't write about me in their magazines, and I don't ask for no reviews on the songs I sing. You know, stop worrying about that shit. Because, I mean, when, when some blogger who's never paid a due in their life, who has just went around and bought backstage passage to Renfro Valley, when that blogger is writing about music and you're sitting there kissing their ass, fuck that, you know? Be you. Uh, don't worry about what they write. They, what you need to worry about is the people that loves what you do and the people that keeps encouraging you to do what you do and the people that, that gives you a purpose to do what you do. And you can find your audience, but you won't find your audience. And I can tell you this from experience. It took me 25 years of beating my head against the goddamn wall. But eventually, I figured out that the only way to make it is to be 100% unapologetically who you are. And all these years, I was trying to find it. All these years, I, was, I went through all these different phases where I, it was like something that eluded me. I almost had a grip on it, and then it slipped away. I never could get that full-blown grip on it. And it's because I never was willing to just open up and embrace it all the way. And I remember this moment in time when I was talking to a friend of mine, and the friend said, I said, well, they're probably going to think I'm an asshole. And she said, they already think you're an asshole. Just do what you want to do. And there was something so liberating about that moment of like, you know, let's, let's do it. Let's, 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 let's do this. Let's get out there and put it out there. And so for those of you who didn't have the TikTok app and didn't have Twitter and didn't have Midas Touch and all of a sudden you saw Brando just going off the rails on Facebook or somewhere else uh, and you were kind of shocked or maybe late to the party, I realized that in order to be Tennessee Brando, I could not straddle a fence. I couldn't be Tennessee Brando and then be Brandon Folsom down here playing, playing uh, Outlaw Country at the dive bar anymore. Those two things, you, I had to own it all the way across the board. And if I offended people, if I lost gigs, if I lost friends, so what? And that's how I truly feel about it. I truly feel that you just have to own it. And so when people start trying to give you advice, maybe you might want to grow American Idol, maybe you might want to enter this contest, maybe you might want to do that. Let me say one last thing to you. And we'll move on from this subject. I've heard people say before, maybe if you went on American Idol, or maybe if you entered this contest, okay. My, answer, my, my question to that is, 
Let's say you win it. Then what? What are you going to do then? Now you've made it. You made it doing that. And now you're probably going to just have to continue to do what other people tell you to do because I don't think you're really going to be in control of your own story, are you? I mean, one of the biggest lines that people end up buying is they think if I can get my foot through the door, I can do whatever I want to do. And folks, that ain't how it works. It's actually the opposite. Once you get your foot through the door in that scenario, now you're just, now you're just owned by somebody who makes you do what they want to do. So, you know, I've had people say, well, I just wanted to go on the voice and give it a shot. Okay, cool. Let's, let's say you want it. Now what are you going to do? Because are you going to be allowed to be the artist on that show? And are you going to be the people that's going to get behind you after the show goes off the air that tries to push you and mold you to be that? Are they going to let you be that artist you always wanted to be? So, you know, I've had people say, I just want to make it. I just want to make it. What's it? What is it? If you make it, if you get it, if you're the dog that catches the car, now what are you going to do with it? But if you're yourself, if you're your true self and you stay true to yourself and you do what you feel in your heart of hearts, then it's easy to continue doing it. I, have no pro- I don't have no problem knowing what I'm going to do next. You know what I'm going to do next? I'm going to sit here and wait on some Republican, some mega politician, some ridiculous news story to, fo- to, to, to surface, and I'm going to write a song about it and throw it out to my listeners. You know, I'm, I'm completely happy where I'm at. I would have been miserable. Looking back at it now, there's times when I thought I was close to catching on to something. I would have been miserable, you know. Um, I absolutely loved my experience working with Robbie Turner. It's one of the greatest experiences i ever had in my life. And I remember talks of, well, we might be able to get you a record deal. That, that's a possibility. You know, you might, we might look up and find you a little small record deal somewhere. But even he told me, sitting right there in his studio, he, he said, you might find somebody that will give you... 50 grand. You might look up and find somebody give you a hundred grand. And I said, really? They just give it to you? He said, oh, hell no, they don't give it to you. He said, it's pretty much a finance company. He said, then he said, you have to go back and pay back every dime of it. I said, good Lord, how would I pay back a hundred thousand dollars? I ain't got that kind of money. He said, by doing whatever they say. He said, the very people you're calling out in this song, writing about Waylon, he said, they started off just like you. And they realized real quick that, that the only way they could keep going is they had to do everything. He said, that's why, he said, you know how you'll hear an artist come out and you really like their first album and then the second album ain't as good and then the third album they're doing a duet with some rapper and you can't stand it? He said, yeah, that's why they're in debt. I would have been miserable looking back at it now if that had have all went through and went forward and then I was having to sing a fucking, you know, duet with Florida Georgia Line somewhere. I would have been miserable. And also, you know, the first time I did pop out with my political views, I, I would have been kicked out of Nashville on a rail. So all things happen for a reason. And if you're out there, you're discouraged, you're going through some hard times, you've had friends stab you in the back, you've had promoters treat you like shit, you've had bandmates uh, fuck up and fart out on you, just remember, stay true to yourself, be who you are no matter who that is, because you want to be able to sleep at night when it's over. And if you're just in it for, you know, the the money or the flash in the pan, then I'm not the guy to, to ask advice for because I don't have a lick of respect for that. So I'm not the guy to ask about that. But uh, that's, folks, that's pretty much a wrap for this week. I just wanted to give you guys the backstory. I know I had a whole lot of listeners uh, and, and, and followers now and fans that have come on board and they don't know who I am. I see this comment so many times now, I didn't know who you were. Or I've been following you on TikTok, but I'm so glad to see you over here now. 
So glad to see you get branching out and getting farther out there. So I know a lot of people are hearing me and seeing me for the very first time. And I just wanted to be as open and honest with you as I could be and, uh, and tell you where I came from and, and what it was all about and how that I went from being a kid writing poems in his notebook to a kid that wanted to be a pro wrestler to a kid that said, wait a minute, I could be a songwriter to a, to a kid that went out for 20 years and played dive bars and damn near died more, more times than I can count. And yeah, we could definitely do a, a Tales from the Tour Bus Dark Side of the Dive Bar series if you want to hear it. I've got some pretty good stories about, you know, guns and knives and all kinds. Of, I mean, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or, or sex, drugs, and country music in Jellicoe, Tennessee, for sure. Um, and then the kid that wanted to be Bill Hicks and Hunter Thompson never could figure out how to marry it together and finally figured it out. That's just the, that's kind of, I paraphrased a lot of my life there. I gave you some cliff notes as we went along, but uh, I wanted to let you guys know that this is how, for those who's like, what is up with Tennessee Brando? What does he mean by that? For those of you that knew me for years and was going, where'd that come from? That's where it come from. And for those of you that are new to the party and new to the show and, and, and doesn't know, not, aren't familiar with me, that's where it came from. And um, I just wanted to give you a little story to let you know how it was that uh, it came about. But folks, um, don't forget, now the, the show at the Corner Lounge with the band has been rescheduled for June 24th. And um, I'm kind of going to throw myself out here. <laughs> I'm kind of going to put some pressure on my own fucking self here, but uh, that's okay. Um, I was already thinking that I would probably have this album out by then. I uh, figured I would have it out by June because I've already got 10 songs down. We're going in Monday to knock out four more, uh, which we'll probably get four done, but we may get at least two. Uh, in the coming week, I should have four. In the coming two weeks, I should have another four. So if we have the 16 or 18 track album, uh, that album could definitely be out by June, and then the Corner Lounge show could very easily be me playing that album from start to finish. Uh, they said they wouldn't stifle my creativity as long as I didn't talk on the bullhorn, and so uh, uh, that may be where we're headed with that. So uh, I do have a few other things pending, um, and I'm supposed to be at a, uh, a songwriter's uh, in the round show. That is going to be... On May, let me find my calendar here. That is going to be, I forgot I forgot to mention this one. It's a songwriter in the round show in Danville, Kentucky. That'll be Sunday, May the 7th. I'll get back to you guys on the time on that. But I will be there uh, as part of a songwriter in the round show at the Nook in Danville, Kentucky. And uh, we'll see how that one goes. But uh, stay tuned, folks, because I've got new songs coming out. If you've not checked out my Patreon yet, um, go over and check it out because for five bucks a month, uh, you can get, a, you, right now, the people that are patrons, they're going behind the scenes. Every time I go into the studio, they're seeing me track the lead guitar. They're seeing me lay down the vocals. They're, they're seeing me build these songs. They're hearing rough mixes of these songs before anyone else hears them. Um, so if you really love what I do and you got five bucks a month that you want to throw, uh, throw at me, uh, that's what it is. I don't do the tears like other people. You know, some people do the tiers where they do $5 tier, $10 tier, $20 tier. I don't believe that, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to throw 20 bucks at me a month because I don't necessarily give a, enough variety of material. Um, I mean, I do, but I mean, like a lot of these people, you know, I'm not, a lot of times when you have like those $20 tiers, it'll be like with the $20 tier, you get access to albums or access to future shit. And I'm like, I don't want people paying 20 bucks for something they might get six months or a year from now. 
You know, I want them to get, you know, five bucks a month and you basically just get to see stuff that I don't put anywhere else. Or you'll see me put it there first. So um, going on, and again, going back to the start of this show, just go to find my link tree. It's on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Go find that link tree. Click on the link. Go to Patreon for five bucks a month. You're in like Flynn. And um, you can definitely help me uh, get these songs out to you. Um, I really appreciate your guys' support and uh, appreciate you bringing me through a dark place. And, you know, I'm, I'm really having the time of my life right now and I ain't left the house yet. So I, I look forward to when I can finally get out and see some of y'all and meet you uh, at shows. If, if any place will fucking book me, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm in the middle. I mean, I had some person say, come to California. Some person say, come to Canada. Hey, buddy, just give me a damn address, okay? Just <laughs> Somebody just like, just send me, like Venmo me some gas money or some shit or a plane ticket. I'll gladly get the fuck out of here. Uh, I'm ready to go. Uh, so I, that, well, just let me know where, where I need to be. I'll show up. <laughs> but uh, um, when I, hopefully we'll get this, this ball rolling, get this stuff out there, and I'll be able to take it out there and play it for you. Uh, but either way, I'm having the time of my life, and uh, you guys have, uh, have helped me to do that. So uh, let me know what you want to hear me talk about. Let me know, you know uh, things you would like to see me do on Patreon and things you would like to hear me talk about on the podcast. And uh, if you have any questions, submit your questions to the podcast. Um, and we'll just keep this ball rolling. I really appreciate your all support and I appreciate you listening to the story on how I became Tennessee Brando. I hope you enjoyed it until next time. I'm Tennessee Brando tune back in next time. And, uh, I'll try to tell you some more truths.